welcome to another episode of the Carnal Extremities podcast, a podcast that pairs up an extreme horror film with an extreme metal album or just an extreme album in general. As always, I am one of your hosts, Raina Cervantes, and with me today is... Hi, I'm your host, Vanna. Hey, long time no speak. <laughs> yeah, very long yeah we always say we're gonna get back into the swing of doing regular recordings and then just something happens but in this case something legit happened uh this last week we hosted our alamo draft house screenings yes we did and it was like literally dreams come true it was pretty wild with like what only like three or four days notice we sold out three of our four shows yeah that was like I don't even know how to describe it. Like, it was, like, such a rush, like, every time we checked the, like, ticket sales <laughs> and, like, seeing the, you know, seats slowly go away. It was really cool. I think people really liked us, too, when we did our introductions. Yeah, I, um, it was, like, when, after we introduced uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, like, Someone, like, leaned over and, like, thanked me as, like, we walked back up. And I was like, oh, Like, <laughs> I think he was, like, a really big fan of the movie. Like, like an uh -huh. older guy, too. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Yeah, I had, I had numerous people, like, thank me after that going for, like, oh, my God, thank you for programming that. A lot of first-timers at some of these screenings. I was, like, really surprised. Like, I know part of why we chose a lot of the things that we chose was to give both like a nod to fans while also like hoping to attract first timers but i didn't expect the ratio of fans to first timers to be so even and even in some of the screenings it was almost like more first timers than old fans and i was really surprised by that yeah, I feel like Texas Chainsaw, like the majority of that crowd was first timers. So many first timers. And it was like a really fun time. Like everyone was really into it and like vocal. Like it was really fun. Like, I don't know, there's something really special about hearing live reactions to films that you programmed. Like, I don't know if that tickled like a special spot in your heart, but it definitely did for me. <laughs> so a little bit of context, folks, for uh, listening and haven't seen uh, the Texas Chainsaw we're talking about is Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, uh, the one with Dennis Hopper. Um, yeah, Vanna, I remember just leaning over to you during that screening because in front of us were two first timers in the front row, just like reacting to everything. And they sounded like genuine reactions. Yeah, they were like those two specifically were like just so fun. Like at one point it was almost like I was just like watching them <laughs> rather than the film for a little bit because they were just like they were all in. I They were like loving it, but they were also like doing the like, ooh and ooh, it, you know, like they, they had mm -hmm. the full range of emotions that uh, is appropriate for texas chainsaw massacre part two <laughs> they were into it i i loved it um i loved how i riled up the crowd at one point during the introduction <laughs> oh <laughs> <When> yeah <laughs> I, when I i dropped the hot take 
quote unquote hot take because I think this screening was proof that it's not a hot take. Uh, that Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two is better than Part One, and expecting expecting people to boo me, I got a room full of cheers. <laughs> yeah, I think the the fans in the room definitely appreciated the the sentiment for sure. Yeah, and you know, seeing some of these movies, I'll admit I hadn't seen a single one of these movies on the big screen before, so this was a first time for me as well, and I. It, I want to say that Texas Chainsaw and Ichi were both brand new 4K restorations, or at least their most recent ones. Uh, I talked to one of the programmers, and I think Texas Chainsaw, it was the new Vinegar Syndrome restoration. Um, oh. Yeah, because they just put it out on 4K. So um, I believe it was the one they worked with on MGM on that one. Uh, Ichi the Killer, it was the most recent 4K restoration done by Walgo Entertainment. Uh, The Brood was Janice Films restoration that they did for the Criterion. And, you know, high tension was the 35 millimeter. So um, we really got to see and present these films like in their top form. Yeah, I think uh, that's maybe one of the reasons why I was so excited to specifically do some of those films. Like it's not every day you get to go see high tension on 35 or um, I don't know. I think it was just like, it made it a little extra special. It really did. And uh, we also recorded a live episode in the bar at video vortex, but unfortunately due to some tech issues, uh, you had to be there to hear that episode. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah and tech issues not on our part for once no no <laughs> no really out of our hands but special shout out to sydney and ben over at draft house la just two wonderful human beings that we could not have pulled off any of this without them and their support and special shout out to um our favorite alamo programmers uh jake isgar and jenny nolf um for helping us put this whole whole series together honestly none of this would have happened without any of their help and participation and i just want to extend like a heartfelt thanks and gratitude of uh you know for alamo taking a chance on us we're not like the biggest pod in the world but i think we definitely have like a unique voice in like the world of like horror podcasting yeah i think i was like I don't know, just so surprised and, but like you said, grateful that they took a chance because they definitely, I don't know, they definitely didn't have to and it, but I think we brought something really special to the table and I think like the way people showed out and were like so psyched and like I can't even count how many times I heard that Alamo should do more rep screenings of of films like that. So I think that was, I don't know. Yeah, we definitely, you know, we're the new kids on the block, but we earned our keep, I guess you could say. We did. We did. And, you know, I'm going to tease it here, but we may be back to do stuff for them. Yeah. Who knows? Insert insert I emoji here. (laughs) (laughs) 
it it really was just I, I I don't think I can say thanks enough to to even people who just showed up like if if you were there and you had never heard of us before and you're listening now like thank you like forever grateful forever honored that we were able to share like a little part of ourselves with you um I'll dive more when we do the brood episode but I think some of my favorite reactions were from after the brood <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I will definitely save it, but agreed. <laughs> <laughs> like so, some of the shit people said, I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, just just certain people walking out, going like, oh, that might have been Cronenberg's weirdest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which, which, like, I'm re- I'm really so shocked that a lot of people hadn't seen that movie. Yeah, even, uh, yeah, some of the people that I knew in the audience, uh, I had no idea that they hadn't seen it before, which made me also feel, like, extra, like, gooey that they came. (laughs) And, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, that's, uh, it's a, I don't want to say an odd one, but, um. It's an odd one. (laughs) I don't know, it's not, like, it's definitely not Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. No. Oh, for, no, um, especially for people to do that double feature, the brood, and then is that like I was like, y'all, y'all are troopers, and um, I love y'all. And if anyone came that's listening and maybe didn't say hi after the screening or something, like definitely, I don't know, send us a message or something because I want to say thank you. I don't know. Yeah, pretty much. Just this entire ten minute intro is us saying thank you, and we're we're just so happy, so honored. I I know I'm honored. Yeah, it definitely like obviously I was excited to do it, and um, like I don't know, and seeing other people host screenings and stuff like it's it's something you want to put on the bucket list. But I don't think I fully anticipated how much I would love doing that specifically like specifically hosting and like giving people films like it was very cool like giving other horror fans like a piece of you (laughs) through Mm -hmm. a screening like I don't know that was just it was super awesome but so I hope we get to do it again um wink wink nudge nudge to (laughs) anyone out there um In another bit of news, I need to extend a heartfelt thank you to everybody who has been buying a Second Sight's 4K release of Crimes of the Future. I see all the photos all of you are tagging me in, and, you know, some of my biggest friends are out there buying a copy and supporting me, and I just, I want to say thank you to that, too. It's, uh, It's truly an honor to have my work attached to a work at Cronenberg's. I, I still like I'm getting like choked up. I still like can't really process it, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that <laughs> that does make sense. I think um, I don't know. I feel like it would probably be so surreal. Um, like mm-hmm. I saw the picture of you like actually holding it and I was like, whoa, I don't I don't know if I would think it's real yet either (laughs) yeah that's not even my copy that was my parents copy (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but yeah it's just wild that that people can go out there and buy a david cronenberg movie and get an essay of mine with it 
um i just special thank you to uh second sight films that made that happen you may or may not see uh my work attached to another release someday very soon let's just say this isn't the last you've seen of me (laughs) um wink wink nudge nudge but uh yeah just you know these past two weeks have been have been really surreal like between everything we're doing with the pod and that like I, I i never extend my gratitude enough and this is me doing that right now just uh we're only up from here on the pod yeah you're definitely not getting rid of us anytime soon no god no fuck no like hell vanna can't get rid of me anytime soon <laughs> um but enough uh introductions and thanks we're here to cover the second movie in our alamo draft house series because we already covered texas chainsaw massacre part two um yeah should we just hop right into the movie that we're covering this week i think so i think it's time you know i'm really fucking excited for this movie i've been wanting to talk about it for some time (laughs) Oh, yeah. Now we finally can. <laughs> I'm going to butcher names. Please don't kill me. I am ju- I am jumping ahead of that issue right now. <laughs> um, but the film this week is Ichi the Killer, directed by Takashi Miike, written by Sakachi Sado, based on the manga by Hideo Yamamoto. The film released December 22nd, 2001 and stars Tanabu Asano. Nayo Mori, Shinya Tsukamoto, and Pauline Sun. The film follows sadomasochist Yakuza for Sir Kakihara as he searches for his missing boss and comes across Ichi, a repressed and psychotic killer who may be able to inflict levels of pain that Kakihara has only dreamed of achieving. お前は Uh, Vanna, just jumping right into this. Uh, tell 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 the audience why we really like wanted to program this film in particular. Well, I mean, we're an extreme horror podcast, and yeah, I we're paid... rolling up our sleeves. 
I think you can't have one of those without talking about Ichi the Killer. Like, it is so... I think, like, every, I don't know, disturbing movie or band movie, like, list has this on there. So I'm sure, like, even if listeners haven't seen it, they've definitely heard of it or they, they've heard of it now. But I don't know. It's just, I mean, and Takashi Miike is such a an iconic director himself i mean Mm -hmm. it also stars shinya sukamoto who's also one of my favorite directors so it's just like you it's it's essential (laughs) i don't i don't think i'm uh familiar with shinya sukamoto's like directorial work what is what what is he made tetsuo the iron man oh shut the fuck up is that really him yeah that is him the metal fetishist (laughs) Um, listen you learn something every day yeah i admittedly did not know that (laughs) yeah he's the one that has like the buff he's like the old man like and then has like the buff fight at the end oh holy shit yeah Yeah, and uh, uh, Kotoko is another amazing work of his that, like, cuts so deep, um, literally and figuratively. If you've seen it, you know what I mean. But yeah, so the fact that, because he's a friend of Takashi Miike, that's why he's, you know, starring in in this film. So it's just a, I don't know, it's... It's amazing, and and I loved hearing everyone's reactions to it when we got to screen it. Yeah, I I wanted to program this because when I was a shithead heel in high school, I know I always say this story, but it is a hundred percent true. Me and all my friends would get together and be like, "Yo, let's watch the most fucked up movies ever." We'd Google like most crazy, like brutal movies of all time, and we'd seek out copies and watch them and. I actually discovered this one and introduced it to my friends and was just kind of blown away by some of the content in it. Um, you know, at the time, like I was like, "Ooh, Saw might be the most brutal thing I've ever seen. And we watched that. and I'm like, holy shit, this is from fucking 2001. God damn. <laughs> um, it's it. It was me dipping my toes into Takashi Miike's very wonderful filmography. Like, the man has done shit like Dead or Alive, Ace Attorney, Like a Dragon, Blade of the Immortal, Terraformers. Like, I don't think he has two movies that are alike at all that aren't sequels. (laughs) Yeah, he has such a, like a wide range of films. I mean, he also just has so many films under his belt. Like, I don't, I don't know how it's like physically possible. (laughs) Like some of these years, like around this time, like if you see how many films of his released within the same year, I just, am like with, with our kind of film schedules and like traditional, like Hollywood, like, I'm like, I don't even know how (laughs) you would do that. But um, I don't know. I've I've heard some interesting like stories about like how he would get just literally just get her done, <laughs> like mm-hmm. like just do it. So he, that's just really interesting. But yeah, all there's such a wide range. Like he known for some disturbing films like this one and audition, but also like lots of like crime and like yakuza 
thrillers and dramas and um well and Ichi the killer is like a blending of like his horror side and his yakuza side yeah it's, filmmaking. it's interesting because while it is an adaptation it's also a really interesting like amalgamation of just everything his filmography is like you said it's almost like a play on or an ode to everything that made him a filmmaker um almost like a history lesson in a way yeah. <laughs> i don't know yeah this is this is like um this is like the Takashi Miike like pitch deck of like here here's who he is as a filmmaker here's what you can expect mm-hmm. um i also found this movie to like especially upon this rewatch to be a like a fascinating yakuza film yeah i think um like so someone told me it wasn't horror which I think I, I mentioned this at our screening. Like, I think that's just like the most boring personality to have is to like constantly tell other people what you think is or is not horror. Um, but I guess like their point was that they were like really nitpicking and pulling apart like what genres it's pulling from. Uh, but one of those being like a typical Yakuza film like in Japan. And it's just really interesting. Like, I don't know, seeing all of the like the dynamics and like hierarchies and i think maybe a in some way less romanticized version like we all know like the yakuza are gangs but Mm -hmm. i think like our understanding like i think maybe from a cultural standpoint like i think sometimes at least in my mind you don't always think of it the same way as you would think of as of gangs here but like this movie specifically showed a lot of like drug use but not like the typical like i don't know uh film friendly a lot um, of heroin yeah like that's (laughs) (laughs) when you see like drug use um at least like in more um socially acceptable like i don't know media like it's a lot of like weed smoking or like cocaine or like more um socially yeah acceptable drugs but seeing like actual like heroin heroin use and like talking about some of those kinds of issues it was just like definitely i like solidified like yeah this is like gang stuff like this is not just dudes wearing suits like (laughs) i don't know I can't really add to that point because I played all of the like a dragon games and those games are literally like a series of Yakuza stories um, that I hear are like somewhat accurate to their practices. So it's interesting to see that outside view because I never really picked up on that. But yeah, yeah, I just mean like I personally like maybe I would have known, but like thinking about like the broader american view yeah. like a lot of it would be like anime and a lot of anime mm-hmm. that is comes over here is a little bit more like family friendly because then that's what gets put on like tv you know so like thinking about how like how many steps of filtering like those ideas go through before <laughs> we see them is interesting but Speaking of anime, this sure is a manga adaptation. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's probably one of the most shocking things about it is 
like, yeah, there's a few scenes that are quite disturbing, like, because of the subject matter. But most of what's really shocking is just how, like, over the top and outrageous uh, some of it is. Like, the fights and the violence and the gore, like, it all really plays out like you're watching an anime, not like you're watching a crime movie (laughs) like it's just Mm -hmm. so so exaggerated or i don't know it's but it's that's what makes it so fun to watch too it's like so visually interesting i i i got i gotta keep going back to that point that someone said that it's not a horror movie when a man is literally hoisted up by hooks and has burning hot oil dumped on him well Um, you know how people are with like calling yeah. things horror. like some people call like say thrillers aren't horror or like psychological thrillers aren't horror or, oh like, I, I don't know yeah he, i don't know the the specific comment was that it's not horror it is a mixture of like he said yakuza films black comedy and splatter films and i was like well splatter films are Okay. So So, you prove like malignant is like part giallo, part dark comedy. Like, is that not a horror? Yeah, I don't. You know how people are on social media. (laughs) I hmm. (laughs) take those opinions and toss them out. Oh yeah, no, I definitely was like, you're stupid and you're boring. (laughs) Your mother doesn't (laughs) love you as you're typing it on the phone. No, I was literally just like, how boring of a personality do you have to have to be making this argument right now? No, yeah, get get them. Get their ass, as <laughs> social media would say. <laughs> yeah, I don't I, know. God, yeah, this movie is is honestly pretty fucking special. Like, yeah, some of the effects haven't aged well, but the way that this movie's over two hours and just flies by despite also cramming 10 volumes of a manga into a single movie. It's just like constantly going like, yes, there's no like rest. It's just from one thing to another. No, like, and there were a lot of first timers in our showing. And I was like, damn, I bet this movie overwhelming as hell to them. <laughs> yeah. I, I, wow. Yeah. It, brought me back to like my first time watching Uh and i was just like because i had no idea what to expect like that was definitely not what i was expecting when i first watched it i don't know i see a lot of people also bring up that this movie might be a commentary on violence in the media and how takashi Miike is not necessarily making fun of people that like violence in their media but basically kind of saying like you're almost an active participant when watching it like i want to know your thoughts on that on that theory um i don't know yeah i think it's it's really interesting because there's a lot going on with like voyeurism uh at some point or like early on with like ichi watching an assault and like that's what gets him going um but also like Kakihara's like search for violence and I I always view it as like yes, it's not a commendation of violence, but I I, I like the idea of voyeurism in it and how 
Mikkei basically says, like, when you're watching a movie, you're part of this world for, like, the next two hours. And with Itchy the Killer, the way it's stylistically made, he's like, I'm going to put you front row center to that world. And you're going to be like a fly on the wall to these situations. And Ichi and Kakihara are going to be commentaries on you as an audience. Like, like you have the sadist people that like get off on violence that are like, hell yeah. Like, let me see like someone's head get smashed in. Or like you have people that are masochists like Kakihara that it's like, I want to absolutely fucking suffer while watching a horror movie. And in a way, in a way, Ichi the Killer almost feels like Mikkei's most personal film because of that, I think. But yeah, I think what's really interesting is that the like the only person who wants to get hurt mm-hmm. is the person who's not getting hurt like he is begging Ichi to hurt him and Ichi doesn't and I so I think something about um in in that way like when it comes to being implicated in violence like the line like when it comes to like consent like who's Mm -hmm. consenting to the violence who's like Ichi's whole thing is about like um violence that someone else did not consent to versus Mm. kakehara being someone who is consenting to being hurt Mm -hmm. um so i guess you know he would be like a stand-in for like horror fans and perhaps um but yeah so it's really interesting like where there's this disconnect where like this the person who wants to hurt and the person who wants to hurt someone like don't line up (laughs) um Mm-hmm. yeah i don't know i hadn't really like i knew that that was a point that people brought up but i never really thought about it too much um when watching it just because mostly just because there's so much going on <laughs> yeah um, yeah but yeah no that's a really interesting point and i think those kinds of movies are always my favorite just because there's always so much fuss about morality in like the media you consume like obviously we talked about this when we talked about funny games mm-hmm. so I, th- I like in a way sometimes it's just messy and perhaps in a way overdone at this point now in 2023 but I will always love like films that are commenting on like horror films basically mm-hmm no, I totally get what you understand. I totally get what you mean. Um, as far as like Japanese extreme cinema goes, I think Ichi the Killer has so much staying power because of some of those central themes and what it wants to say about voyeurism and violence in the media and like just also like stylistically, this movie fucking stands out from the pack. Like this movie is oozing with style. So it's so stylish and like kakehara's outfits specifically he's got that drip he is so like we we have to talk about what one of our friends said about this movie about the relationship between ichi and kakehara yeah so i had always (laughs) like i always bring up that i think it's a romance in a way um i think 
you know, they they make they allude to it in the film that Kakehara, because of his like like essentially BDSM relationship with his boss, Anjo, like that's why he's so dedicated to finding him and now he's searching almost for like a replacement. But yeah, so I, I like to think of it as a, a romance in a way. But mm-hmm. this other relationship that you're talking about is also really interesting. Yeah, to quote one of our friends, uh, Eli uh, Osberg, uh, he brought up, he's like, I'm convinced Nolan was inspired by Kakihara and Ichi for the Dark Knight and Batman and the Joker's relationship. And I kind of sat there and I started thinking and I was like, holy shit. You might be on to something here. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny that he brought that up because while watching it, this specific viewing in the theater, I kept thinking about that as well because I know it's because it's, you know, a manga and it's got these like action elements. Like he has that kind of black, almost superhero like suit with like the number one on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I kept thinking about that and then seeing Kakehara like he mostly wears lots of purples and then his like smile is very Joker-esque. Um, I had that same exact thought. I was like, oh, it's almost like a really twisted, like perverted Batman and Joker relationship. Mm-hmm. And then I thought about later, I was like, I, that's a big thing specifically in Nolan's like Dark Knight series is like that kind of relationship where Joker and Batman can't exist without each other. And like, it made me think about Kakehara's like yearning for Ichi, like that they like are two sides of a coin or like that they need each other. You know, I don't know. It was just, it was such an interesting thing, but I thought the same thing when I was watching it. Allow me to crack my knuckles because I'm allowed to talk about DC Comics for once on this podcast. <laughs> I'm like, hold on. I'm I I am about to reach full power because for those of you that don't know, I am an extremely huge DC Comics fan. Um, it's actually my first love above horror, which might be blasphemous to say, but, um, you know, what can you do about it? Um yeah, so Nolan's Dark Knight, I always go back to that scene at the end where Batman captures the Joker and the Joker's hanging upside down. And he's like, why do you want to kill me? And the Joker like straight up laughs and he says, I don't want to kill you. He's like, you complete me like without me, there is no you. And without you, there is no me. And Kakihara and Ichi almost have that exact same relationship in this film where it's like, yes, they are two sides of the same coin. They're also more similar to each other than they think. Yeah. And also interesting in another scene towards the end of this film where they're on a rooftop and Kakihara's hanging over the edge. I, yeah. yeah, I, I, I almost really have to wonder if Christopher Nolan is a fan of Ichi the Killer. I mean, he has to be, right? (laughs) It would be really interesting if he wasn't. (laughs) It's so great. Like, 
God, I really want to know if he is because it would be so great to hear confirmation that like Ichi the Killer influenced the Dark Knight because, yeah, but Batman and Joker have always kind of had that relationship. So I almost wonder if like the author of Ichi the Killer had that same inspiration. But at the same time, it's like influences influencing each other is a really like fascinating concept in the world of storytelling to me. Um, It always goes back to what my friend uh what my friend says he's like your ideas are never your own (laughs) yeah i mean i can't imagine that you know if it is a manga that it might not already have inspirations itself from batman comics or not you know and then (laughs) it's kind of like chicken in the egg (laughs) yeah like a little matryoshka doll like (laughs) yeah keep undoing the layers of the cycle of being (laughs) inspired by each other i don't know uh, yeah 100 percent. um before we we move on i really i really gotta fucking talk about this because we talked about this in our live show and i have a feeling we have a lot to say about this next uh topic involving this movie um so for years they have attempted to do an american remake of this film mm. which one sounds like an impossible task but uh IndieWire recently reported this last year that the remake rights are owned by The Weeknd, of all people. And uh, The Weeknd attempted to do a remake of Ichi the Killer with Paul Schrader as writer. Um, and basically gave Paul Schrader like free will to write whatever on the stipulation that he wanted to play Ichi. And I guess Paul Schrader basically threw up his hands and went, Have you ever seen Ichi the Killer? <laughs> yeah yeah when i heard that i was like does he know which one is ichi Mm -hmm. um yeah like did he look at the cover and see kakihara and is like oh that must be ichi the killer yeah but i know that after watching the idol uh something about the weekend's character i guess changed my mind a little bit i was like maybe he is really interested in playing small sweaty uh insecure men yes i don't know (laughs) so so that was leading into my my second part of the story is that like once eg the killer kind of fell apart when it was being american re getting an american remake uh the weekend met up with sam levinson and they started developing the idol and uh you know Say what you will about the idol. Side note, we will have a full episode on it at some point um, <laughs> because I think it's extreme enough to cover. Um, say what you will about the idol. But as I was watching it with the knowledge that this was the product of a failed Ichi the Killer American remake, I started to see a lot of through lines in between the two. Yeah, I think mostly just for me, I guess his character specifically, but I guess maybe some of the gang uh style like rivalries and like family uh like are these versions of family that you know these yakuza members have yeah in their gang versus like the music industry and like cult type families i don't know there's like like jocelyn 
yeah like jocelyn has her quote-unquote gang which is like her publicist her manager her best friend etc and then like tedros has his quote-unquote gang which is all the people that are following him and they intersect like they intersect at a point where uh violence and sadism kind of take the forefront yeah and i guess um you know her boss she you know her mother she mm-hmm. who was the source of her pain she lost and so she sought out a new source of pain like a new <laughs> so in a way kind of like how kakihara like lost anjo and like was searching for someone who would give him that same like satisfaction like we see like joss like you know kind of get into a relationship with you know the weekend's character that is who is pathetic yeah Yeah, pathetic but you know like he she's trying to seek from him that you know that that feeling that that she lost yeah yeah Yeah. no 100 percent um god god damn that's gonna be a fascinating episode when we finally get to it (laughs) um but yeah you know ichi the killer long-lasting legacy um if you're listening to this i assume you've seen it um but if you haven't definitely go seek it out (laughs) yeah it's definitely worth it like even if you think you know you've listened to you've seen enough screenshots or you've listened to enough podcasts like you have to see it (laughs) for yourself to really believe it Mm -hmm. 100 percent um which leads us into our musical pairing for each of the killer yeah, so uh, it's <laughs> yeah. an interesting one this week. <laughs> you know what? I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna stop everything, and I, I'm. In, I'm the Drake meme with his hands sticking out, and I'm like, I'm gonna stop everybody right here. This is one of my favorite music selections we've ever done on the show. Let's uh, get into it then. Yeah. So this week with Ichi the Killer, we have um, paired it up with the album Tomb of the Mutilated by Cannibal Corpse, which uh, is a band formed in Buffalo, New York, uh, formed back in 1988. And their lineup composed mostly of musically active uh, scenesters, vocalist Chris Barnes, guitarist Bob Rousse. I don't I don't know these names. So, and Jack Owen, uh, bassist Alex Webster, and drummer Paul Mazurkovitz. Musically, uh, they were closest to Slayer, although more extreme metal bands like Death also played a role in their sound. A 1989 demo helped the band secure a contract with Metal Blade Records, which released their debut album, Eaten Back to Life, in 1990. A cult following began to build uh, behind the group with albums like 1991's Butchered at Birth and the album of Discussion 1992's Tomb of the Mutilated, which is a high-concept album concerned with extreme necrophilia and sadism, which is what makes it a perfect pairing with Ichi the Killer. And uh, some of those song titles include Hammer Smash Face, I Come Blood, Split Wide Open, and Post-Mortal Ejaculation. God so, damn. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess if you can't see the connection to Ichi there, then then we I can't, can't help, help you. you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, do you want to, I guess... It kind of speaks for itself, but do you want to talk about why you chose yeah. this one? Uh, yeah, this one this one was my choice, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it just kind of fell into our lap. <laughs> it kind of did. Um, this album means so much to me. Um, I know that's so weird to say that this fucked up album means a lot to me. God, what's wrong with her? But oh, well, um, this album was an album I discovered in high school when I was trying to go through like like my my biggest edgelord phase. I was like, like regular metal music. That stuff is for like, I'm just quoting my younger teenage self. I'm like, that stuff is for pussies and I want the more extreme stuff. So literally it was a matter of like most extreme metal albums. Google, I came up with Tomb of the Mutilated by Cannibal Corpse and you know, I listened to it and I was blown away. I was like, I didn't know music could go this this hard or this heavy or like talk about things like this. Like, I'm like, there are song titles on here that I didn't even want to put in the notes. <laughs> and <laughs> and those song titles are about what they're called, which is wild. Um, but, you know it was kind of opening the door for me to like listen to more extreme metal, like deathcore and death metal and cannibal corpse literally paved the way. Um, hammer smashed face in particular has like that, like opening bass riff where it's like, like that was like growing up as a high schooler and being a bassist. I was like, fuck yeah, the bass, the bass guitar can rule. And, you know, sonically cannibal corpse is, is like, when you when you think death metal, you think Cannibal Corpse, like literally like like um, in Metalocalypse, the character of Nathan Explosion is like a parody of Cannibal Corpse, like a parody yeah. of their vocalist. <laughs> yeah, I think like. It's the quintessential, like when you think of this kind of music or when you tell people you listen to like death metal or or things like that like i think this is what they think in their head mm -hmm. um which isn't always true but it's but it is definitely like that image that like essential um i don't know it's essential to like the history i mean being all the way from like the late 80s to early 90s it's also they were pretty essential i think in the listening of most of the bands we listen to today like not that they aren't also around but it's like kind of interesting to see also like bands that grew up listening to them now also make you know it's mm -hmm. uh they're essential <laughs> yeah um what was your first exposure to cannibal corpse um i mean i can't like the thing is it was always around mm -hmm. like i don't know like i can't really totally pinpoint like a moment when I became aware one moment I can think of perhaps is their um cameo in Ace Ventura oh shit I forgot to mention that <laughs> um so pretty much from like my earliest memories uh like when your long-term memory starts forming and you're like finally a person my dad started letting us watch um 
things like Wayne's World and the Ace Ventura movies. So, um, so that scene definitely was, uh, in a way, I guess you could say probably my earliest exposure to them before I was like older and seeking out music that wasn't my parents' music and things like that. So, um, which the, the song they perform in that little cameo is Hammer Smash Face. So, <laughs> that's uh which is so interesting to think like the tone of that movie with like why this yeah i hear <laughs> i hear that came about because cannibal corpse is like jim carrey's favorite band is i i hope that's true no it is and and <laughs> that cameo was at the insistence of jim carrey well i I love that. Jim Carrey, come on Carnal Extremities Challenge. Yeah. <laughs> God, I would love to t- talk metal music with that dude. Yeah, I had no idea. I mean, I knew, I don't know, He he's pretty like, I don't know. He, he seems like someone who, even though I did not expect him to actually like be a fan of Cannibal Corpse or anything like that, that he would, on a higher level, be able to like understand like the value in this kind of music and stuff like he, that. I don't know. He's a, he's an very artsy. Guy. He, he's like artsy. He like recognizes the value of art. Um, I could totally see him like being into metal and recognizing its merits. You mm-hmm. know who else I discovered is a huge metal fan this week. Hmm. Um, Margot Robbie. <laughs> yeah, I, I did, uh, discover that as well. And I, it makes me love her. Even more than I thought was possible because I already love her so much. Yeah, she like shared a photo. She's like, oh, I was a goth in high school. I wasn't all that popular. And then she was like talking about like some of her favorite bands. And she's like, yeah, like my favorite band of all time is Slipknot. And I was like, hold up. Yeah, I saw that too. I saw saw her talking about that. I think I saw like her at a concert and I was like, oh, like she's not lying (laughs) you know what margot robbie come on carnal extremities challenge (laughs) please i beg you margot robbie do some horror movies challenge my final parting words on tomb of the mutilated are if you are even into like extreme metal at all and you haven't heard this album what are you doing like itchy go out there and and discover it like great great album to always have on rotation yeah, that's your homework if you haven't already, because like I said, it's just kind of like essential in the like history, like the fabric of like this genre. I don't know. Like it's it's essential. Yeah. Just like Can't it, overstate it is essential for extreme horror. Exactly. Which again, which is why this is the perfect pairing for this episode. Yeah, I didn't. I'm like sitting here going, like, somebody said Ichi wasn't horror. Like, what? Yeah, which while in the same sentence saying that it incorporates elements of splatter, oh, splatter film. film. And I'm like, that's literally like you don't understand the words you are saying. Is, is there a splatter film that isn't a horror movie? People are. People want to argue for no reason. That's what it. I think that's just what it is. <laughs> oh, Saw is a splatter movie. That's not horror. That's a romance. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Listen. Yeah, I don't know why people are want to argue. Can we briefly talk about how 
people are discovering this week that the first saw takes place the day before 9-11 yeah i'm like <laughs> it's a it's such a funny uh funny little detail which i guess also if uh, the listener has not done their homework our first episode is on saw and you should go listen to it right now to get psyched for saw x but um but yeah which not sponsored hashtag not sponsored (laughs) which uh plays into like i don't know everything we talked about on that episode like the kind of landscape of horror post 9-11 yeah the post 9-11 like fears that everybody had in that era yeah i i yeah i don't know it's uh james wan knows what he's doing um (laughs) i think we should wrap this up what do you say yeah i mean wrap it up now but we'll be super stoked to get working on our other alamo episodes you want to so excited for all of them yeah you want to say what movie we're covering next week yeah our next film in the queue is david cronenberg's the brood we'll have a lot to say on why that one we think we can classify as extreme horror yeah i mean if you've seen it i think if i think if you know you know (laughs) if you know you know that should be the mantra for this pod (laughs) pretty much it pretty much is i feel like (laughs) no yeah 100 percent um vanna where can everybody find you online you got anything excited in the anything exciting in the works yeah so you can follow me pretty much on every social media platform that currently exists at siren death cult and also my blog sirendeathcult.com and uh very excitingly you can find some work i have coming up in the upcoming issue of fangoria so this will be my first fangoria byline so you should definitely pick up that issue (laughs) if you're not already subscribed but yeah i have I guess some other things in the works, but that is it for now. You can find me at JFC Doomblade. You can also find my work all over the web, places like Bloody Disgusting, Fangoria, um, and New Byline Alert, IGN. I just reviewed Satanic Hispanics for them. Um, and yeah, go go buy Second Sight's uh, release of Crimes of the Future 4K, the limited edition, includes a 120-page essay booklet with an essay from yours truly in there. I talk about Cronenberg and the value of art and how, like Alan Iverson, he brings his heart onto the court with every game he plays. Um, other than that, you can follow the podcast at Pod on Twitter we or should i say x and you can find us on apple Podcasts, spotify podcasts um leave us leave us five stars it's it's good it's good for metrics it's good for algorithm yeah i'm excited a lot of cool plans coming up brood next week our last uh, alamo movie week after and then we're hopping into a, a new series and we'll be bringing some new voices on for that one